everybody. This is Issa Cosette, and you are listening to Issa's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know existed, you didn't know you needed, but we're so glad you're here. And this week, we have a very special guest coming live from Georgia, the Jeremiah Wiggins. I'm so excited to have him tell his story, not only because we went to Valdosta State together, but we have been doing a lot of inner work. We have been in transition, moving from smaller cities to bigger cities, newer cities. And I've just been inspired by the way he walks, the way he, he perceives the work and how he advocates not only for Black people, but just to bring a conscious effort and solidarity around the world. And it just inspires me. So Jeremiah, welcome to the podcast. Tell the people just a little bit about yourself. As you just said, of course, we went to Valsa State together. Um, at this point in time, I'm actually uh, back in Georgia. I was in Texas for a little minute. Right now, I'm actually uh, working in HR for a TV network. Um, but aside from you know all those very interesting facts, uh, me, Day to day, I'm Aries. I like long walks on the beach. Yeah, that's that's probably the most exciting thing about me, guys. <laughs> Even if Beyonce was talking about like this in her interview, we have these personalities, but there's certain things that we reserve for our friends and family and other people mm-hmm. for like social media. And you're like, no, these long walks on the beach. She really put in the word something that I've been struggling to say, like, you know, and we have like limited energy. And so I, you can't you can't be everything to everybody, but the ones who matter the most to you, you just need to make sure that you leave that reserve on for them. It's so great because Audrey Lord actually says that like caring for myself is sometimes not self-indulgence, but like self-preservation. Not only just how like we have to consciously think about how we protect our images, how we protect our sanity and what we release out into the world and also what we receive and what we take in affects our mental, affects our lifestyles. And our lives have changed drastically over the years since the pandemic has started really. And, you know, balancing between work and personal life has been overwhelming. We've been burnt out. We've learned how to recharge. We've found different new hobbies. We've traveled to new cities. How are you celebrating success on your journey? COVID really did make me like slow my pace of life in a very beneficial way. My response is more so like what I celebrate and like what I kind of put value, like what what are things I put value into that are like worth celebrating at this point in time? I'll celebrate. Uh, I'm like at the point where I'm trying to make like every single family event, whether it's a birthday, whether it's a gender reveal, uh, whether it's um, like it doesn't matter what it is. Like I'm just trying to make sure that the actual physical celebrations in life uh, for the people that I love for sure, that I'm like available at, that I'm able to really like take in the atmosphere and be like 100% like present um, with it. So uh, with me, what I found, um, cause I, it could be so hard. I, I'm the type, historically, I can get into my mind, uh, my head way too much. And with that, that kind of takes away like me actually being very active physically. Um, so I kind of just have to settle into having just the, the overall, just knowing Everything that is meant to happen is going to fall into place, but you just need to be where you at at that moment in time. Um, so when it comes to celebrations, uh, it's mostly like life pops them up as I just kind of have my head down doing the things that I want and need to do. So um, I can't say necessarily like I have like a particular like ritual of like that I use to like celebrate, 
uh, myself or others. Um, but I can say like the kind of cadence that I've found is that life really does open up and offer you those moments to take part in, but you have to be 100% present and just in the moment. Uh, so that's, that's, those are kind of like my, my energy bursts that keep me just like, you know, flowing and going into it. And I can definitely say it's like trust in life, God, universe, whoever it is that you kind of, however you sum up while we're here, um, she does open up to you just fully, but you have to keep your eyes open and be 100% present. Yes, you do. And won't you celebrate with me <laughs> every day, right? <laughs> Look, and we have to be present. We have to be able to find these moments. And especially, like you said, being able to reconnect, being able to show up, being able to be sometimes in the right place at the right time. And I think mm. one thing that not only just to be able to do that with your family, but that you do in your digital presence is that you are one of the brains behind the black cord, right? That brings us morning snickers and evening brews, but you're also celebrating <laughs> the dopeness of Black people around the world. Can you talk about what, what inspires you guys to create such beautiful conscious content to keep us going? Yeah, yeah. So the Black Core at this point, we started this in 2017. Uh, it's me, um, my good friend, his name is Chad. So Chad is like an entertainment guru. He uh, went to school, studying culture, so he can tell you uh, why an artist released a song on January 23rd because they wanted to make the deadline for the Grammys in 2023. Like he knows all these stats. And I'm just like, oh, wow. That's, I didn't even know, you know, like, you really could like look into this and really like research all these things. And of course, you know, I come from more so the background of, uh, you know, spirituality, kind of like health-based. Um, you know, I have a psychology background as well. So um, our goal, we kind of linked up because we had two very unique perspectives on some, some, I guess I'll say some similar things, but uh, we, our focuses were like completely different. And we thought that missing the two would be a way to really grab the attention of a wide variety of black people. And one, the main thing I can say for myself is from my own like personal pages, uh, it just, I'm really, really big on when I log into social media and I look at my TL, my TL is my space. And although, you know, me and a like, hypothetical person may be really cool in person, um, if their like social media tendencies aren't like necessarily reflective of what I want to log on and see, or it kind of like disrupts my like my vibe, my frequency, then you know, I is is my prerogative to you know remove them off the TL. There's no beef, there's no harm done. But while I log on and, you know, you may be on the negative side of things all the time, that's going to be, that's, I, don't, I don't necessarily want to see that. So my, my routine was just always putting out just positive things, funny things, things that allow people really to think about particular situations differently. Um, and so with that, I was like, you know, I feel like we could use a bigger platform. And if I join with somebody, and then I'm able to really reach a completely different audience than like just I would be able to do by myself. Um, that would be just, you know, that can be pretty explosive to highlight, number one, highlight our people and our arts, our thoughts, and just any anything that we do. I was just, that's always just been my passion, period. Um, I, as, you, as you said earlier, like during school, of course, we knew of each other, but we didn't know each other so well. But the reason that we knew of each other is because I feel like we were both pretty much 
anything that's black, we are going to be there pro-black to death. Like that's just, that's just kind of like how I see the both of us. And so um, with the black core, that was just the perfect opportunity um, to just really kind of just, just multiply it. Like it's not about me, it's about us as a people. It's about us really, you know, promoting our children. Cause even like our children these days, whether you're talking about elementary, uh, middle or high school, um, they're doing things that we were not doing at, at like at that age. Like the, they're so aware of what's going on when it comes to just like, they're wearing melanin shirts. We weren't wearing melanin shirts in school, but it's like so common now because like black people, the empowerment that we've seen in the past years has just been just on another level. And I just felt like the black core was something that really could, um, of course, I contribute to that. I thought it also would be a place where it's not only about, you know, educating and, you know, always having a serious tone, but also letting loose because um, a critique that you'll likely hear about just like all the, um, well, majority of current black entertainment is that it seems to be geared toward kind of educating people on what black culture is and what black history is. And people are kind of like, we really just want some content that's just about black people existing, you know? And so um, the black core also has a really strong leg of um, just having us laugh in black. <laughs> and so when you're talking about the morning snicker, the evening brew, that's kind of like their role. And then while also, you know, giving homage to people um, who are here and who may not be here, whether they're known or unknown. So um, it's really just all things black. We highlight, we magnify, and we really just want to just like iso of everything else. So um, that's just been the, um, that's what Black War is all about. And now, and now, thankfully, thank God, uh, we added um, Yan. She actually went to BSU with us. Um, so she's a contributor to the Black Court now. She also has like some feminine energy that we were kind of missing. So, um, you know, we're, we're looking to, you know, keep expanding, to keep adding, you know, different perspectives and, and things. So, you know, we really are able to keep allow people to see themselves in the black core because um, like we're not a monolith. And I think it's really important to speak to that in anything that you do, especially when it comes to black people, because um, so often we are kind of just oversimplified to be like one set mode. And that's nothing else can be further, like further from the truth. So that's TBC. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I love how we're promoting black culture. I love, like you said, laughing in black and, Having that collaboration and being able to, like you said, figure out what you needed and how you want to present and how you want to show up on your timeline, the energy you want to give out. And that is just like needed, right? We there's no <laughs> it's just needed. And the fact that a lot of the things that we do and I think about a lot of things that I do is thinking about my future children or my students. And like definitely the fact that a lot of kids now have many visual representations of things that we barely saw growing up. Yeah. We didn't have access to unless you were in certain communities. So um, that is beautiful. And Rumi actually says, you know, yesterday I was clever. So I wanted to change the world. Today I'm wise. So I'm changing myself. Mm. And I'm thinking about, you know, your gift of being able to give back to the world, but also how your transition to a bigger city, because you said you're from Waynesboro, Georgia, like a small town, right? And you've been able to now um, experience life in different cities. How has your inner work allowed you to not only just embrace being Black, embrace your sexuality, embrace just being present? Oh, man. So um, as you said, I'm from Waynesboro, Georgia, a very, very, very small town. It's like Augusta, Georgia was our big city that we traveled to for everything. Um, so uh, me going to Valsa State was uh, very deliberate 
on my behalf, I, I made the conscious decision to avoid Atlanta for college because I felt as if me being out by myself, like for the first time ever, I could like very easily lose focus. So I was a little nervous about that. So I said, you know, Bell State seems like a really good school. Um, it's the furthest I can get away from home with Hope Scholarship. So, you know, let's book it. So, you know, Biosta itself is also a college town. So, you know, still was very much so in the country and such, um, but still kind of catching a little bit of the city flair from, you know, all the people who went to VSU from Atlanta and they're just kind of talking and you're hearing about these uh, spaces or places that you haven't been to before. And they're speaking so highly of uh, Five Guys and Chipotle. I'm kind of like, what are all these things y'all talking about? <laughs> so, so after graduation, of course, um, I did make the decision to go ahead and move to Atlanta uh, versus moving back home, um, which um, was a very, very life-altering decision. Um, I'll say that because at the, my, the end of my college career, I had just, I had just accepted my sexuality fully at the end of my college career. Um, as many people are aware of, you know, Atlanta is kind of seen as being like uh, this, uh, the gay hub, the black gay hub specifically. And moving to Atlanta, um, my goal, my mindset when I moved there was just, you know, I'm here, just, just getting my next steps, whether that's going to be going back to school for another degree or if I'm going to go ahead and jump into the job market. I'm not looking at nobody and trying to get into a relationship or anything. Um, but, you know, life always has different plans. Um, so getting there, I can definitely say I was wide-eyed. Um, the scene, the gamosphere, as I like to call it, uh, was pretty intimidating. The times that I would go to an event, it was pretty intimidating just because um, if you're a new face, uh, the place just makes it known why everybody is in your face and such. Um, and so, of course, I'm coming a slightly naive, wide-eyed country boy. And um, along with that kind of came pressures of, you know, I'm still just settling into who I actually am after 20 plus years of kind of like suppression. Um, but also now I'm having uh, just different phenomenons pulling me in different ways. So on one side of me, I still am settling to become who I am as a black gay man. And then also with that, when it comes to the gay atmosphere that I'm in, there's also these pressures that if you're a black gay here, you have to act in this way. You have to present yourself in this way. Uh, and it, it, it was pretty jarring because it's like, I don't fit in when I go back home, but I also don't really quite fit in here. Even though I've come into the scene and physically I'm desired, and people are seeing me, but people aren't actually seeing me. Like they see the physical, but everything else about me is pretty much disregarded. And that is funny because that was kind of uh, a similar story to how I felt just about suppressing my sexuality for all my life up to that point. And I'm like, this is a phenomenon that keeps, this dynamic keeps like reappearing in different, like different circles. I'm not quite catching why, like what is happening with me that this, this keeps popping up in this way. And so what I actually had to do was I had to stop running away from myself. And that took me some time <laughs> to, to learn. It took me some years to learn. And 
that's that can be such a hard journey because you're kind of like, uh, well, you know, I want to try this, but you know, is that going to be me? And and one of my like guiding systems in like my like personal GPS is it's a quote I can't remember who it's by right now, but essentially it just says that whenever you're in a situation and you may be a little shaky about, you know, is this me or is it not me? And is it safe? Is it not safe for me? So pay attention to your body, pay attention to your mind and just observe how they act. And I can definitely say with myself, when I'm in particular situations or I'm having particular conversations or I'm just speaking with particular people, I always make sure that I tune in and trust myself. I trust myself. That was a really, that was another really big lesson. Trust myself to know that what I'm actually feeling doesn't mean this person is bad. It doesn't mean the situation is bad, but we probably shouldn't miss. That's probably what that means. Like our, 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 whether it's our ambitions, whether it's the way that we just view the world, our perspectives, um, something is just off. And that was enough for me to start kind of learning what was for me and what wasn't for me. And still with that, of course, time goes on and those things will change because life is a, is a dance. The song is always changing, always changing. So as we were saying earlier about being present, that's where that steps in. When you're present 100%, man, like although you may go outside and check your mailbox every day at the same time at 2 p.m., if you're 100% present, there may be something that just pops off or there may be something that's completely different. And you can just take a, such a joy in just because you're not just kind of like automated and going, you know, it's kind of like, oh, okay, let me go grab this real quick. Like you, 100% present, you don't miss the small things that can give you just like immense joy. Um, so for me, it was really, I had to, it was a lot hard lesson to learn and really trying to get all these different parts of myself to just come together. And essentially I just had to realize, listen, you can take a step out of yourself and try to observe yourself, try to critique yourself, say, I need to do this better, I need to do that better. But all that does in the end is make you go back and realize the time that you've wasted. Because, in, and what you're doing when you do all this is you're trying to really present yourself a particular way for a particular type of maybe person, a particular type of like company, whoever else. If you're doing that, then obviously what you're presenting to them is a false image. And you're going to have a false alignment and find yourself somewhere else that isn't comfortable. So <laughs> regardless of like you are who you are, there's no way around that and there's nothing wrong with that. And that was just pretty much a lesson I learned very, it took some time, but when I learned it, it was, it was worth it for sure, man. And um, you just get to a point where you're just unapologetic about how you are. And, you know, of course, that still comes to self-awareness, knowing that you still have shortcomings, but being real about those shortcomings while also still knowing and thinking highly of yourself. So it's just, for me, it was about that balance and just really existing. How I am and letting people see, like, you know, regardless if I'm here with the family or regardless if I'm here at some gay event, Jeremiah is the same. I don't care how it what's for me is for me. And that's it. <laughs> so so that's just been my journey up to this point. I'm over here like, yes, amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> say that preach, sir. Same. Okay. Like I was over here. <laughs> I feel you. And I'm so no. happy know that you've taken the time that you know you even had to get out of your comfort zone to really get back into yourself and it, it and, and it's hard like I was even reflecting on that um earlier today like in my meditation of how much some things I missed out on because I wanted to be perfect or I was scared to mess up or I wanted mm -hmm. to have certain illusion and I was like no 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 it's okay to not always know like that's how you find your way that's how you move yeah. forward 
how you really know. And like you said, listening to your body, everything. So yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Another way to let your light shine and, and just embrace your creativity, your powers, is I know you have a poem you're going to share with us today. So um, this piece is actually uh, is my first Actually, only spoken word piece that I've ever performed. Um, I had a friend who had a poetry night for his birthday. Uh, he asked like 10 people to write pieces. Um, so this is my piece. Uh, all right, let me get into my mode. It's a little, it's a bit of a somber tune, but it's cool. I promise y'all, it's, it's a cool ending. So my adoptive mother asked me again, do you like boys, son? Uh, being only seven years old at the time, I was pretty perplexed by a conundrum. Now, my biggest worries during that time was if I'd be tomorrow's line leader, you know, focusing on things like number two pencils, cool-ass book bags, and if I'd be second grade's top accelerator reader. <laughs> now, her question tugged my innocence while leaving me with a slight intrigue, kind of parallel to what they say Adam experienced when he was given the apple by Eve. It was like a black hole began to sink into my stomach and go deeper. And as I sat there in silence, I somehow knew my answer wouldn't please her. You see, up until I moved with my parents, I was just allowed to just be. And yeah, my teenage mother, she knew her oldest son was different, but she wanted him to be a kid first and most importantly. And now we won't go into the tale of how I was adopted or how I got there. Long story short, just know that I was born in the hood. But at that point in time, I was living up in Bel-Air. <laughs> now, of my new parents, my father, he was a pastor. And my mother, she prayed relentlessly. But little did I know, they had their prayer targeted at one particular side of me. Now, being a little boy, I had some feelings. You know, a few things I didn't quite understand. Like, yeah, I got a crush on Fatima, but... I also feel some type of way about that random man. Now, from that moment on, I became aware with my parents as my teachers. I learned the way a man should behave. They promised it would be worth it and that God would say, well done. And in the end, I'll be paid. <laughs> now, I wasn't allowed to spend the night with the little boys. And subsequently, my mind became my own little prison and when I tell y'all I spent so many nights in that cold-ass bed, earnestly praying and begging God to make me a true Christian, for sure, if the power below gave me this burden, then the power above should be able to take it away. But what's crazy is the more that I tried and the more that I cried, I too began to hate what I was day by day. I was so low, I felt like I was the weapon they referenced every time I heard church singing, no weapon against me should prosper. But then I look up to the pulpit and see them as all God beside the deacon who Sister Maddie said touched her 12-year-old daughter. So, no, I'm not saying that we'd be perfect. You know, we humans. We are allowed to make mistakes. But the only time I hear Christians say love the sinner, hate the sin, is when they're speaking on somebody that's gay. Claims of black masculinity being assassinated movie by movie. But the church don't got an issue whenever the gay choir director got the congregation moving. Now, there was a seed implanted in me at that kitchen table when my mother asked me that question. I didn't know it then, but it was the start of a self-loathing journey that I would believe God would reward me one empty blessing. So after several moments of silence, I began to cry in front of my parents, not even too sure what my tears meant. But now I understand that they were for the journey I was about to take on, a narrow road that's hell-bent. One tear fell down from when I was nine and I told my cousin I wanted to be a teacher. And he laughed. <laughs> That's gay. 
and when I looked toward my mother for support, she nodded and turned her head away. Two tears, because you say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So to my folks, that must have meant they turned their back on their own, so their Christian walk wouldn't be undone. Three tears, when my college sweetheart asked me why I couldn't be with her, and I had no answers as to why we became undone, when the truth was, I didn't love her how she loved me. I just wanted to give my parents their one grandson. Four tears because the download brothers are disgusting, deceitful, and nasty beings. But whenever a brother does free himself, he despicable and he ain't no true black king. Five tears because the church refuses to shed that what happens in the house stays in the house mentality. But how can that teenage girl think of God as a healer when all she can think to herself is I wish my mama would believe me? And no, this isn't a bad Christianity. And no, I'm not questioning divinity. But why can't some Christians sit back and let God be God and leave the judgment of my soul between him and me? But I thank God for this journey. You know, they say shit like this makes you a better man. But as for my children, they won't see this cycle because this shit ain't happening again. Look, I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, my heart. Thank you so much for releasing and sharing that poem with me and your friends, of course, and him just asking you to write that for his birthday like i think i might have to make people write poems for my birthday now like what no that was a that was a great idea on his part for sure as i said this was 2017 which is like a pretty just it's a year of transformation for me um i really just got got my footing firmly on the ground beneath me um that's just where i was this point in time at that point in time um my parents and i we were on like you know greatest terms obviously a lot of that was stemming from you know, my sexuality and just, they taught me the exact opposite of what of the decision that I decided to take. Um, you know, for me, I just had to learn once once you get over the hump of dealing with the people who are the giants in your life, dealing with the people who actually matter in your life, who's usually your immediate family, all it did really was just let us see the reality of one another even more with more clarity, like more accuracy. And so our relationship, of course, has gotten closer. Um, and that's all that I really wanted. Um, from that interaction, um, it really has just set the tone for so many other uh, relationships and uh, connections I have in life. So um, as they say, everything starts at home. It really does. And I had to kind of leave home, avoid it for a minute to kind of figure that out that, okay, now it's time to get back and really face these things that you have been putting off since <laughs> college. Um, but it really, um, things really just came full circle. And I'm like immensely grateful, immensely humbled too, because the main thing about this journey is that as much as we grow, as much as we evolve, um, you still get to the top of the mountain and realize, baby, I still don't know nothing. <laughs> like, like I, still, I still have much more to learn, but I love where I am. I'm happy where I am. I'm eager for more. And that's like the perfect position for me to be in. That's amazing. And a great transition to ask you, how are you on your way, Jeremiah? Well, I'll say I'm on my way in that I don't have the desire to prove myself to anyone for any reason. And that's because I know that all my steps are ordered. I know that the decisions I'm making are decisions with purpose. 
And whether that purpose is to elevate me or whether that purpose is to teach me a lesson, I can take that. And so I just know that where I'm going isn't in vain. I know I'm being guided. I know I'm being watched. And I know that I'm going where I am supposed to be. Um, that's just how I know I'm on my way. And I don't know exactly what the end's going to be, but my main thing that I've learned um, pretty much just in life in general is just that life is about the journey, not a destination. And that's how I'm on my way, baby. We're like, we're making this journey something to remember. So my time here will be, um, my time here will be well spent. I love it. And I'm glad to be able to see certain parts of your journey, connect with you and just encourage you along your way. I'm here to continue to support and just look up to you because you've always just inspired me from afar. So keep- Oh, and I, you know, that's very mutual. I'm <laughs> saying, you know, that's very mutual. So. <laughs> um, tell the people where can they connect with you and keep up with the Black Cord? Yeah, so um, on Instagram, uh, my personal page is uh, Jeremiah. If you know how to spell Jeremiah, just replace the E's with O's and you'll find me there. I'm also on Twitter under the same name. The Black Core is on Instagram. Uh, it's spelled T-H-A. Like, you know, it's very Black. The Black Core. Core is spelled C-O-R-D. Um, core is actually an acronym for cultureology, which kind of speaks to psychology, mental health, and such. Um, R is for rhythm and reality, which speaks um, to music, uh, television, entertainment. And D is for dialogue, because, of course, we always jump into just some topic that's, um, that's pretty just like has many layers that we just know people are just ready to just spout about. So um, you can find us on the black cord and we are super, super just diligent about really making a safe space. So we do stick, uh, like stay in our comments and make sure that, you know, nobody's never being anti-black, anti-gay or coming in trying to be like a pretty unhealthy devil's advocate. So um, like we, um, we really just want to be a welcoming, warm space for our people, all different types of our people. I love it. We're all welcome. Come celebrate with us. Come sit with us. Let's do this inner work together. But most importantly, let's love one another. Yes. To everyone on your way, keep trusting yourself, keep observing your body and know that you are more than enough. Until next time, this is Issa Cosette. Y'all be blessed. Mm-hmm.